0: My salvation, he has become my salvation, the Lord is my strength, my song, my song. For he has become my salvation. He has become my salvation. The Lord is my strength and my soul. My song. Someone say, He's my song. Oh, he's my song. He's my song. He's my song. Someone sing it. He's my song. he's He's my song, he's my song,
1: he's my song, amen. By the special grace of God um, and by the tender mercies of his strength, I have been blessed and privileged to share the word of God today Um, and it's titled self-control. And by God's grace, our pastor is not here. Don't worry. The person sitting down there is not pastor. He just looks like him. Because when you are a son of the pastor, you look like him. <laughs> our pastor is, good, is worshiping um, in Lynchburg today. Um, he's doing the work of the Lord. So the fact that we don't see him here, let's know that he is doing the work of the Lord. So after the ministry, after the administration, after the service, please don't hesitate to reach out to him. Let him know how much you miss him, how much you love him you know, and um, just continue to extend that uh, hand of mercy and grace to him in support of the work that he is doing unto the Lord. Amen. I'd like to honor the ministry leaders. God bless you, sirs. God bless you, ma'am. I'd like to honor the fathers, the mothers, our grandmothers. God bless you for your presence here. And to your neighbour. I see the glory of God upon your life. I see the hand of the Lord upon your life. The Lord has upheld you to this point. You see, it is because of the mercies of the Lord that you are here. Now you have to acknowledge what Christ has done upon the cross. When he went there, it was for this very reason, for this very moment, that we might experience fellowship with the Father. Don't you sense the awesome presence of God here? Don't you sense that the Lord is with you? That is why he was called Emmanuel. God with us. He will be called everlasting father. Turn to someone and say, the Lord is my everlasting father. The Lord is my everlasting father. He had me in mind when he went to the cross. For this very reason. That I might be born again. That I might live the life of Christ. Someone shout hallelujah. Uh, our brother last week had um, begun to teach on self-control. And his topic was the evidence of self-control. Now, <laughs> it's, in, it's important that we understand that this particular topic Was before everything that went on this past week, amen, Amen. self-control. See how the Lord orders the steps of the righteous. Amen. You know, it's a beautiful thing when you recognize that the Lord is the one that leads his people. The Lord grants us the words that are light to our feet and lamp to our path. It's very prophetic that the very topic that we are speaking of is what is (laughs) exceedingly important in this time and in this season. Turn on, turn to your neighbor and say self-control is important. And it's extremely vital that we recognize that last week there were a couple of things that our brother shared that were very, very, I thought humbling very humbling because in his message he said when you neglect self-control you prolong your spiritual journey you prolong that spiritual maturity he said without self-control you can never be a true leader or disciple without self-control you can't be a true leader or disciple and he even went for that to say ministry requires self-control. Ministry requires self-control. But today, the topic given to me is self control, the thought. The thought. And we're just going to be quickly reading from Galatians chapter 5, from verses 19 to 24. Galatians chapter 5 from verses 19 to 24. And we'll be reading together. It says, Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything sp- similar about which I tell you in advance as I told you before. That those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who have, those who belong to someone say, I belong to Christ. Therefore, I have crucified the flesh and its passions. It says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's important to know that even the definition of self-control, defined by the Olive Tree Strong's Dictionary, is the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. That's the appetites from his senses. One who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. And in verse 24 he says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It is something that has already occurred. Already occurred. But I'm going to take a back, I'm going to backpedal our backpedal and begin to teach on Old Testament versus New Testament and then go to self-control the thought. Old Testament versus New Testament. And there is a very important reason why I'm doing this. Very important reason because we must take our eyes away from ourselves. The focus must never be you. The focus must never be you. You cannot do it by yourself. You were never meant to do it see he said i have crucified galatians 2 verse 20 i have crucified myself it is no longer i that live but christ that lives through me and the life that i live i live by the faith of the one who died for me and gave himself for me so it is not you it is the life of god so no matter what we tell you to do as long as you look at yourself you will fail the moment you say i can do this on my own you will fail because that was what the law was the law told you to look at yourself and your ability and so they kept trying they kept saying we can do this by ourselves and what it burst out of that, that 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 confession was that they became hypocrites They began to compare themselves and they began to look at themselves and began to say, look at him. He's not obeying this, 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 this. But meanwhile, when the curtains are drawn in the secret of the secret, they are doing the exact same thing. They are pointing fingers at um, other people. That is the big danger. The big danger of the law. What is, what are the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament? The Old Testament was based on the law of Moses and was ratified by the blood of bulls and goats. The Old Testament was based on the law of Moses and was ratified by the blood of bulls and goats. The New Testament is the promise of God fulfilled in Christ. The promise of God fulfilled in Christ. The Old Testament was promises given. He made lots of promises. But the New Testament is promises fulfilled. So when you read in the Old Testament, I will. When you see God saying, I will do this, I will do this, I will do that. He was all fulfilled when Christ was raised from the dead. So he is not going to, he has already done it in Christ Jesus. Now there are some things that are going to come forth at the revelation of Christ at the end of the age. But there are specific promises of God being in his people, of God empowering his people, of God dwelling in his people that have already been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. It is a present day reality. Someone shout, God lives in me now. God dwells in me now. Because he has given me the fullness of his spirit. He has given me the complete nature of his presence. Hmm. Now, the the old thing is this law thing. We have to demystify the law. So what is the law? Galatians chapter 3 verses 16 to 17. Galatians chapter 3 from verses 16 to 17. Thank you very much. It says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. It does not say unto seeds, as though referring to many, but to your seed, referring to one who is who. Christ And I say this, the law which came 430 years later, after God had made the promise to Abraham, the law came 430 years later, does not revoke a covenant that was previously ratified by God so as to cancel the promise. So what does this tell you? That the old covenant... actually or actually came after the new covenant the old covenant was an interruption of god's original plan god's promise was that it was to christ that he would bring forth the blessing but then if you recall when moses was leading the israelites he said i want to speak to them I want to dwell among them. I want this relationship that I have with you when you are coming to me, me, meeting me face to face. I want to meet them face to face the same way. But what did they say? They said, no, we are too afraid. Let him speak to you and you will now come and speak to us. It is at that point in time. They made Moses a mediator. Moses was never meant to be a mediator. God wanted to be there to him as a father of the nation. But they chose Moses. They rejected God. And they asked that Moses would be their, their mediator. Now, the way I'm speaking, <laughs> I don't want anyone to feel like I'm against Moses. By no means no. You see, Moses, the person, was a man of God. He knew God. But because the people rejected God, he gave them things that would be hard for them. He said, you don't want God, right? I will give you the law. That is why Paul was saying the law is given to lawless people. Lawless people. Now, if you have children... That are always obedient. Now, I haven't reached that age. But um, I'll ask our fathers here. Now, if you allow your children to leave the house, and they always by themselves, say, five o'clock is too late for me to be outside. I think I must be home by five o'clock. Would you ever give that child a curfew? If that child uses his own mind and understanding to always come in at the right time, would you give that person a law? No. Now let me ask a different question. Now, if you are extremely liberal, which I doubt most of us here are, and your child comes home at any time they wish, and you never, and you never give that child a curfew, has that child broken any law? That is what the law does. The moment the law came, it began to make everyone be aware of their breaking of the law. Because without the law, there was no sin. But the moment the law came, sin came alive. That was what Paul was teaching in Romans chapter 7. So the law was an interruption to God's promise to Abraham and his seed. Number two, the Mosaic law leads to a consciousness of sin and calls you a sinner based on what you do. When you read Romans chapter 7, from verses 7 to 8. Romans chapter 7, from verses 7 to 8. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, would I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not convert. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me, coveting of every kind. Immediately, what he's saying there is that immediately the law Lord, Lord came. He now seized that opportunity in me to make me much more covetous. It made me want to break the law the more. For apart from the law, sin is dead. In other words, when there is no law, there is no... No sin. So law is what brought forth the consciousness of sin. is what made people to be aware of that state that they are called sinners. So that's why you notice that in this world they say you are what you do. So If you do specific things, then that is what you are. But in the new covenant in Christ, you are, therefore you do. You are a son of God. Therefore you act like that. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, you move with that righteousness in the mind. You see the difference? In The old covenant, once you break specific laws, you are named after what you have done. But in Christ, you are. Therefore, you go ahead and do. It is in the consciousness of what you are, in the knowledge of the truth of what you are, that makes you to move forth and speak forth in the light of Christ. Number three, the law was meant to teach us about Christ. Galatians chapter 3 from verses 23 to 25. Galatians chapter 3 from verses 23 to 25. It says, before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the common faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So the law was a tutor. The law was bringing us to Christ. He was saying, come. These things that you are doing, these sacrifices that you are taking to the altar, they are speaking of a person to come. So Moses was using those things to say there is someone coming don't look at me when that person comes the things that I'm teaching you is to point you to him that is why the book of Hebrews says that when Moses was teaching he said that there is someone who is going to come that even as I was sent to you by God God is going to bring that person when he comes and he speaks you must listen to him and so the tabernacle and all the utensils the bread of the presence was speaking of Christ the Ark of the Covenant was speaking of Christ. Every single utensil there, the menorah, the seven the, the, the candlesticks, was speaking of Christ. Every single thing there was trying to paint a picture of a Savior that when He comes will transform you into a light that shines in the darkness. He was talking about someone that when He comes, He will bring you into a place of comfort in the presence of god he said that the joy that i give you it is not the type of joy that this earth gives it is a joy everlasting everlasting full of glory the peace that i give you it is not the type of peace that this world gives it is the type of peace that never ends that rushes from within it is not what um um, 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 i'm censored When the Holy Spirit censors you, you, cens- you get censored. <laughs> but this is a, 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 a realm that Christ gives to each and every one of us a realm of life. It's called a new life. Zoe, the God kind of life. So everything within the law was pointing to him, was pointing to Christ Jesus. Now before I move forward, the law given by Moses is not the same as the Ten Commandments. Now the Mosaic law contained the Ten Commandments. He built on the Ten Commandments. But the Ten Commandments are God's holy law. So there has to be that distinction. That is why when Jesus came, they asked him. He asked, what, okay, the man asked, what shall I do to inherit inherit everlasting life? And then Jesus asked him, obey the Ten Commandments. You shall not steal. You shall not murder. He said, come, I have done this from my birth. I have done this from my birth. So, Jesus also taught the Ten Commandments. So, it is very important and very vital to recognize that the Ten Commandments are God's holy law. And they must be distinct from the laws of Moses. So, when we speak of the law, the law, we are talking about that which Moses had added. The law of Moses included the Ten Commandments, but there were about 613 of them. So it was impossible to keep it. It was impossible to be perfect. That is why the psalmist would say in Psalm 19 from verses 7 to 11. Psalm 19 from verses 7 to 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the law are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned and in keeping them there is great reward. So the law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is true. The law of the Lord is right. It is better than fine gold. It is like silver refined in the fire seven times over. Found perfect at all times, in all situations. In wherever you look at it, it is perfect. But the difference is this. The law of the Lord, which is the Ten Commandments, were engraved in stone, which symbolized the eternal nature of the commandments. Eternal nature of the commandments. But you notice that those two tablets of stone were placed in the ark of God. Whereas the law of Moses was just placed by the side. Now, that is very significant. Because we realize now that the laws of God are now written in the hearts and minds of you and I. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33. Jeremiah chapter 31 from verses 33. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart. I will write it and I will be their God and they will be my people. So you see here, remember the Old Testament are promises given. New Testament promises fulfilled in Christ where he was saying I will the moment Jesus rose from the dead I have I have that's why when Christ rose from the dead he said go and tell my father my brothers and my, my my brothers go tell them that my father and your father has raised me from the dead my father and your father he was no longer looking at them as separate from him he no longer always said my father my father he said my father and your father someone shall tell Hallelujah. 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 We are now one with God eternally forever by the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. So everywhere we read in the scriptures and everywhere we see that God is saying I will put my spirit upon them. I will put my spirit within them. I will put my law in their heart. He's basically saying that I will be in them what I was in Christ Jesus. And you know the beautiful thing about it? It has been fulfilled in Christ. It is a current reality. A current reality. God putting his spirit in us causes us to walk in his statutes and keep his commandments. Ezekiel chapter 36 from verses 26 to 27. Ezekiel 36. From 26 to 27. It says moreover I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. And I will move. Remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. And cause you. To walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe. My ordinances. You see there. It is one thing for you to think. That you can obey the law. On your own. It's another thing for you to see that God's intention was always to give you the strength to do it. He never once intended for you to make this walk and this journey alone. His desire was for you to always see him working in you to accomplish the standards that he has given. Because it is all him. He's saying, stop looking at yourself. The commandments will tell you, you shall not. You shall not. You shall not. You shall not. You shall not not covet. And then you find yourself coveting. You shall not kill. And then you find yourself, maybe you don't kill, but you probably destroy people with your tongue. Uh, You you shall not. You shall not. You shall not. And then you find out, which is what Paul was saying. That very same thing that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. But why? Why? Because you were not supposed to do it on your own. He was supposed to effect it in you. So where you are seeing, you will not. God was saying, I will. I will, I will be the one, your strength. I will put myself in you. I will energize you to walk in the right steps. I will be that friend that sticks closer to you than a brother. So you put your eyes on him. That is why he said fixing our eyes, fixing our gaze, our gaze on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Because he is the one that began faith. He is faith in himself. You don't have faith. Jesus is your faith. You don't go to the Father and saying, Lord, um, I fasted for 30 days now. Okay, 30 days is too much. Lord, you see me, I have tried. I have fasted for five hours. <laughs> Lord, hear me now. And to be honest, some of us have prayed those types of prayers. You say, God... Before we did this thing, I promised you that if I come to church for three Sundays in a row, you must do something. Lord, what is happening? This is my fourth Sunday. (laughs) What is happening? And, you know, I've heard... I've heard people very close to me. And this is not to make fun of a very serious situation. Because the situations most people come before the Father with are very serious to them. So it's not to make light of those situations. Because there are people going through very, very serious issues. So this is not to make light of it. But we have to speak the truth. You don't look at yourself. You don't bring your works to the Father. Remember, Moses was always teaching about Christ. So every time they went into the place of worship, they took the blood. The life of a man is in his blood. They took the blood and they began to sprinkle it on every single, every single equipment, every single thing. Every single thing. Within the tabernacle, that's what they were sprinkling. In other words, they were taking Christ into the place of worship. You don't bring anything but Christ into the place of worship. You only take Christ because that is the only thing that is of worth. You take Christ to the Father. You go in his name. That's why he says, come with boldness into his presence. You go with Christ. And that's what gives us boldness. That's what gives us assurance. It is Christ himself. Nothing. Not your gold wristwatch. Not your bank account. Not your... please whatever, Whatever is important to you. Not that. You only take Christ. Because he's the only true possession. He is the champion of eternity. The light of the world. The moment he came, says this world that has been in darkness, has seen a great light. Ha! A great light, Christ Jesus. That's why whenever we preach anything outside of him, nothing you do that has been done in his name was done by your power it says not by power not by might but by my spirit says the lord god of hosts so whatever it is is it peace he is your peace righteousness he is your righteousness if it is that there is something that you are struggling with I promise you that he is your deliverer. Because for this reason he came. That he might set the captives free. He said that when he delivers a person, that person is totally delivered. Totally delivered. So the focus must always be on God must always be on God. So how does the thought life affect self-control? Remember we said that self-control can be defined as the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions. Especially his sensual appetites. And remember that the scripture has said that those who are of Christ, those who belong... To Christ have crucified the flesh. Why? Because the moment you believe in him, he basically cuts that part from you. That part that gives energy to the flesh. That gives a thirst and a desire to the flesh. Now you might have a memory of it. But that which gives it power has been taken away. So now what happens? You have to renew your mind with the word. So how does the thought life affect self-control? You have to remember something. That our thoughts control us. Our thoughts control us. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Number two, whatever you meditate on is what you reveal. Whatever you meditate on is what you reveal. John chapter 15 verse 7. John chapter 15 verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. This is very, very similar to Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. In it you shall meditate day and night. He's saying here, come, this is my word for believers. Let my words remain in you. Now, not to get too theological. He says, if you remain in me, and, that word and there is kai. Kai there, meaning that it's not just a conjunction. It's meaning exactly the same thing that was stated before. So, he's saying here, if you remain in me, that and can can be interchanged as that is. If you remain in me, that is, my words remain in you. My words remaining in you is synonymous with you remaining in him. Because if his words are no longer in you, are you abiding in him? If you remain in me, that is, my words remain in you, then you will know what to ask. Because you will not be asking amiss. Because you are asking with his words. You are asking with the spirit of his word. Then it will be done for you. But the important thing here is to dwell in the word of God, allowing his words to remain in you, meditating on it day and night. Peter Peter said this in second Peter, let's go to second Peter chapter 1 from verses 5 to 7. and I like the way our brother you know dealt with this scripture last week. Second Peter, chapter 1, from verses 5 to 7. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So you see here that he's saying, Add. So once you start with faith, add goodness to your faith. Let that be a progression. Then add knowledge. It's like you're seeing a building block. He's saying, let goodness come on your faith. Let it be seen. Then let knowledge come on that goodness. Let it be seen then let self-control come on that knowledge. You see, so what he's saying there is without one, the other cannot stand. So self-control stands on knowledge. Self-control stands on knowledge. And so he's saying that you should add self-control to knowledge. And if you don't have the right knowledge, if you don't have the right thoughts... It will be very hard for you to exemplify self-control. Now, this knowledge here, he was just talking about the true facts of God, true facts of God. But then, when you read um, later on, if you go, if you if you read um, verse eight and nine, he says. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, which our brother spoke about last week. It talks about, one talks about just knowledge of facts, but this talks about the perfect knowledge, the perfect correct knowledge of God. Two different Greek words used to explain the same word, which might make you miss the meaning in which he was saying here. So you need knowledge for self-control. But when you are building on on, 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 on faith and on, 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 on goodness and on, 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 on knowledge and then self-control. You are basically building the perfect knowledge, the perfect, true, precise knowledge of God. You, you begin to exemplify it in your relationships. And you see here that even this scripture is very, very similar to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. But Peter broke it down that we might see who Christ is in you. You connect with the strength to perform the light of Christ. Philemon chapter 1, verse 6. Philemon chapter 1, verse 6 says, and I pray that the fellowship, the communication of your faith may become effective through knowledge of every good thing, through the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you, For Christ's sake. So you see here that it is when you acknowledge every good thing, acknowledging every good thing in Christ, that the communication of your faith becomes effective. When you acknowledge, you become effective in revealing Christ. When you acknowledge every good thing, you receive the ability to put to death the sensual sensual desires in reality. Because there is a positional fact for Christians. And then there is a real a reality check for Christians. You have to walk in the spirit by exemplifying Christ. How do you do that? By acknowledging. It is where you acknowledge. You get connected to the life source that brings it into reality. Remember, I've said this before. That consciousness creates Connectivity—it It is what you are conscious of that you begin to connect to. That is why we must be very, very careful about what we feed on. We must be very careful about what we feed on. Because a major hindrance to walking in total liberty is incorrect knowledge. Incorrect accumulation of facts. Or what is called false doctrine. Apostle Paul referred to this as foods sacrificed to idols. There are many things. I would recommend just read Revelations chapter 2, Revelations chapter 3. You see Jesus talking to John and telling him about the churches. And then he lists some specific Doctrines that had infiltrated the churches. He said, for one, it's called the doctrine of Balaam. Another called the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Another called the doctrine of Jezebel. These are teachings. You know, when you go into church and you're no longer being taught Christ, there's something wrong. When you go into to church and all you have been taught is about the spirit of something is worrying you in Christ. You are in Christ. If anyone here is feeding on those things, I promise you, not that I pray that it happens, you will get connected to it. Because if it is what is overclouding your mind, your mind will connect to it. And then you find out that that thing you are trying to, to, to get away from is what you are finding yourself ensnared with. Christ is good diet. Feed on him. He said, I am the bread of life. What they ate in the desert. It was it was angel food. Me, I am the true bread of life. And so John in his epistles, begins to tell them, if you see anyone coming to you, teaching you strange things, that do not teach the doctrine of Christ, don't even associate with them. My brothers, my sisters, the truth always sets free. Jesus said it. If you find yourself in captivity, if you find yourself in captivity, it means what you are being fed is a lie. Because the truth sets free. He said you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. If Jesus said it, then it is true. So anything that is contrary to the truth of Christ, let it be far from you. Take the word of God, the words of Christ, let it be close to you. Hold on to it like there's no tomorrow. Before you know it, the energy to walk and exemplify Christ through your words, through your relationships, it begins to be supplied to you. But once you begin to stay away from it, once you begin to say, ah, there is one new thing that's going on, and even when you begin to share it, there's nothing Christian about the message. Run from it. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says this. We don't have the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. You see, when in fear, there is an inability to control emotions and responses. When you find yourself unable to control your behavior, unable to control your relationship, unable to control your temper, unable to control, the moment you find yourself in that place, recognize that you have deviated from what you should be feeding on. Why? Why? Because we have the spirit of power, of love, of self-control, of a sound mind. When in Christ, the ability of God is given to walk in his capacity of love and power. While being in the soundness of mind. There is no such thing, I just lost my temper. I just lost my mind. Or you hear some people go spiritual and say, I'll give them a piece of my sanctified mind. What's that? I'll let them know that I'm not just a Christian. What's that? Now there is being firm. We have to be firm. But we don't lose our minds. We have the mind of Christ. Christ. We walk forth in soundness. But it is a reality, a truth. You are that person that has that spirit of power. You are that person that is possessed by Christ. You are his possession. He says, I will be their God and they will be my people. So we are his glorious inheritance. He says, he's glorious. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So when God sees you, he says, glory. That is my glory. He says, "Ah, that is my glory. 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 We are his glorious inheritance. We are his most prized possession. And so everything we need for life and godliness, he has supplied. But you must know it for yourself. Believe it for yourself. Agree with it for yourself. And we will see the effectual working power of God manifest in our lives and in our relationships. Let us all rise up on our feet.
0: I am the Lord.